Welcome to Living Goddess with Shamali God Arda. Listen in for goddess mythology, wisdom teachings, and intimate sharings from her daily practice and contemplations. Shamali illuminates the Shakti keys stitched into the fabric of our daily lives and inspires us to reclaim a pulsating intimacy with Source and revive our spiritual lineage rooted in the living goddess. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Welcome to Living Goddess podcast. Welcome to this moment. This moment, which is this wide open portal into the connection with Source, with Living Goddess. She's always here inviting us into an intimacy with her. And uh, of course, we tend to uh, look for that future state. We tend to compare with the books and the <laughs> ideals of how the divine should look like. And we, uh, we keep turning our back at this door that is here, always, always wide open. And in order for us to enter this door, we, we need to be willing to um, become intimate with how she expresses itself, herself through us, moment by moment. And, um, you know, that can sometimes be a, a sticky, complex uh, practice. But nevertheless, when we enter the door, we move through the layers and we begin to retrieve our our aliveness and our direct uh, intimacy with her, retrieve our roots in the big story that is her body. We retrieve our life force energy, we retrieve meaning, we retrieve our primordial belonging in this uh, great web, the virid of the world. And today I want to reflect upon this process, this process of descending, descending down into the deeper waters of our being and what that entails. I often use the metaphor of water as a way to illustrate how I perceive the way we we move from union into separation or a perceived, experienced separation, what Einstein called an illusion, an optical illusion of the human mind that makes us perceive ourselves as separate from each other and from, from ourselves and from our own source. We come in from the cosmic ocean and uh, the first form we take, you know, as, as babies, we, it's kind of a, the cosmic ocean becoming a ripple, uh, becoming a unique uh, frequency that is you. And then, um, you know, early on in our lives, we begin to receive affirmations negative and positive affirmations for the way we, we act. And here is where, you know, these, these ripples become 
they become waves. So it's a more like an action. It becomes more of a form, of a distinct form. And a lot of what we are affirmed by is our action, yeah, our, our activities. So this is how we very early on begin to define ourselves according to what we do. And um, there are parts of ourselves that are more being, being based, just our pure being that kind of ripples of the unique form that we are in the cosmic ocean that very often is not affirmed at all. It's not um, seen. Maybe when we are very small as infants, we are seen in this way. And then when we begin to experiment with different feelings and uh, uh, different kinds of expressions, this is where, where we begin to be applauded or reprimanded. And uh, we are smart little organisms that will begin to then adapt accordingly. And then we begin to have these waves, yeah? And the waves of expression, they, in their natural momentum, will just arise and they will uh, dissolve again back into source, arise, dissolve again. This is the natural movement of the ocean, of our being, being in form. But then uh, there are some of these waves that uh, are interrupted, yeah, they can be maybe experiences that are too much for us to feel, uh, that get interrupted by a freeze. It can be a, a nervous system response of fight and flight that is not allowed to express itself. You know, very often when we are children, we can't flee, we can't fight. And uh, it kind of gets frozen. And then, of course, we have other nervous system responses like like the freeze and uh, freeze and um, avoidance and also the fawning response, which is uh, another word for that is, uh, we can call it pe people pleasing. And that is also a, a response that allows us to, to kind of fit in. Yeah, it, it allows us to create a wave that is approved of. Now, none of these responses are, are problematic in themselves. They are completely natural responses. But where it becomes problematic or, or harmful even in some circumstances is that when we begin to um, reinforce one certain wave, a certain kind of persona, a certain kind of activity that we do, and we get applauded by it or we get um, somehow we experience it as, as a safety or a way that we can control our sur surroundings. We then move into one of these waves and we call it uh, me. This is who I am. I'm a nice girl. Yeah, I'm a generous girl. I am this, I am that. And of course, out of that wave, we will also begin to define ourselves or according to what we are not. Yeah, so when we are one thing, we will automatically not be the opposite of that and then a lot of our life force energy is now spent trying to push away that which we are not the unwanted 
and we want to then reinforce who we are, yeah, what we want to be. And this is when the waves become ice cubes, I, I call them, when they become these kind of fixed identities. When we speak about a personality, it's not only one wave. We have many of these kind of frozen waves, the more stagnated waves, and waves we don't want, waves we do want, and all of these different ice cubes is kind of what we perceive to be me. Yeah, it's like a perception of a solid me. And already here, we are uprooting ourselves from an from a ever-changing fluid universe that is constantly shifting and changing, a universe that is, is made of energy. And of course, in this metaphor, universe made of flowing water. We can think that our life is about creating these, like the most perfect wave, and then we will be safe, we will be loved. And um, in one way, the more functional or successful even waves, personalities, are those that are harder to, to even see because they are just aspects we will call me, and this is just who I am. And very often it's uh, through a crisis, some kind of health crisis or divorce or loss. Uh, that's where things begin to shake up, yeah? where the foundation of these personalities are more fragile. And it can feel in these, these circumstances, of course, it can feel scary that it feels like our life is falling apart. And, and these roles that we've been playing so far they don't work as well anymore. And when we look at mythology, this is the portal into initiation. This is a portal into a more true self. And it can be helpful, helpful for us to have the framework of mythology when we go through uh, circumstances like this because there are so many beliefs within us and around us that tells us that there's something wrong that this is when, you know, this kind of dismantling is something that we should try to avoid. Even in our spiritual path, without awareness, it, the spiritual path can easily become a, another uh, building of, of a, an ice cube. Yeah, it, it, we, we think that, oh, I don't want this. Now I want to be this spiritual person. And then we begin to build up more beliefs, more, um, I am like that, not like this. And, um, and put on some spiritual clothes upon it, on top of it. Um, but even that is, uh, is not going to quench the thirst of our soul. The living goddess path is a path of dismantling. It's to soften and melt these frozen identities. And uh, that process is, um, is not always comfortable. Yeah, it is almost like a, you know, you lose the grip. <laughs> and you, 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 you feel as if you're losing control. Because, of course, there's a perceived control when you are playing certain roles. Within that paradigm of the frozen ice cube, the frozen waves, there's nothing um, original there happening. There's nothing new happening. 
It is a repetition of patterns. And many of these patterns uh, were uh, active and activated even before you were born. Yeah? As you moved into your family system, you uh, moved into some of these uh, frozens. This is who I am. This is who we are. This is what we do. This is what we don't do. So when we begin to, when life or, uh, you know, life shakes it up or when we enter the path of goddess and the goddess will begin to, her heat will begin, begin to melt uh, these uh, frozen identities. It can feel frightening. It can feel very disorienting. But ultimately that is where we can retrieve our, our aliveness, yeah, that kind of w- deep wisdom of the of the unrestricted ocean expressed uniquely through us. And here's here's where our creativity uh, lies. Here is where evolution happens. Yeah, here is where change happens. This is alive and creative, just as what we see around us in nature. Yeah, it's that kind of exuberant creativity and beauty. So um, today I want to speak about uh, some of my own process around this uh, lately and um, I also want to bring in a myth from the Norse mythology that also can illustrate some of this journey, just the different ways of speaking of this journey. First I just want to speak about some of these waves, these frozen identities that are successful, that are working for us. Because oftentimes these waves, they are, they are kind of replicas of our essential medicine, our essential being. So it can be hard, sometimes difficult to discern that something that looks really good or something that we enjoy doing, when it becomes a fixed identity, it becomes, it looks the same, but it has a different energy to it because it's now a repetition of a pattern instead of a a spontaneous response from our being. So in Buddhism, they speak about, it's a beautiful concept called near enemy, where where something that, you know, that illustrates this, that something that can look really benevolent uh, can actually be a, a kind of a pseudo version of the uh, essence of that quality. <laughs> so let me explain, so let give you an example, for example, that, um, yeah, so I want to give you the example of what I want to speak about today is, uh, is, um, is generosity. Uh, so generosity is a, uh, is an essence quality. Yeah, generosity is part of the reciprocity, the cycle of reciprocity, giving, receiving, giving, receiving, giving, receiving. That is the, the movement of goddess herself. Everything in here on earth and in the universe moves according to these cycles. So when um, so generosity is an essence quality. And a, uh, a far, uh, far away enemy of generosity could be a, a, a greed or hoarding or explore, exploitation. So it's easy to detect. It's easy to see that, oh, that's something else. 
Yeah, that's that's a, a, a far enemy of generosity. But what is a near enemy? A near enemy is harder to detect because they can look the same at the surface on the surface. And one of the near near enemy to generosity that I am exploring is the the fawning response. Is that uh, people pleasing? It's the kind of more we can even use the word codependent. It is a generosity that has a has an agenda. It's a generosity that is um, moving in a very fixed pattern. It's a generosity that is a role. So it is disconnected from my own source. Or it's, you know, when I speak about disconnect and connect, it's actually, you know, in the deepest sense, nothing is disconnected with anything, but it becomes um, frozen. So it is less, it's perceived within that frozenness, we perceive disconnection. And um, general and generosity and the people pleasing is is kind of a tricky uh, landscape because, for example, in my life, I very early I moved from uh, you know ocean pure uh, you know the essence of generosity which is my being into that kind of affirmed role that, oh, I got a lot of applause and affirmation when I was uh, selfless, where I was leaning out of myself and putting other uh, first, yeah, which is, again, a benevolent thing when it comes from the generosity of essence. But for me, it was life and death in that moment or in that in that period of my life. I experienced a lot of... Um, you know, tumultuous uh, family dynamics as my parents went through the divorce. So my kind of world was falling apart. And this was one way that I could find some kind of ground. Yeah, I can move into this role where my need was not important. And I could, um, I thought that if I am just doing this uh, generosity thing uh, good enough, I will be able to save the people around me. I will be able to make my parents happy. And that was, you know, what I had uh, concluded would make me safe. Yeah, because it was ultimately very unsafe for me that my family f- fell apart. So I moved, you know, I, I disconnected from ocean into one of these waves. Now, this wave on the outside looked extremely benevolent. I remember in my teenage years, I was rebelling against it a lot, but that became just another wave, yeah? This kind of becomes a, becomes a reaction to that wave. And then when I entered a spiritual, uh, my more dedicated spiritual path, uh, you know, this kind of selflessness uh, was um, a quality that, really was applauded and affirmed and even um, labeled as essential to to spiritual union and spiritual maturity so it's it was hard for me to even detect that this is a role because it felt so natural to me and like i said in a deeper sense it is natural to me generosity is a natural state of essence 
And then throughout my lives, I haven't faced, you know, with circumstances that has been shaking this up. And I have been noticing my patterns of people pleasing. I have found ways to connect deeper. And um, what I want to speak about today is just how how multifaceted this path is. That it's not a linear thing. Yeah, it's not like oh, now I have seen that, I have healed that, and now that is fixed. Because when we come back to this metaphor of the ocean and the different waves and the different ice cubes, you can see that um, this can be resolved, it can be brought to awareness within a certain personality, a certain wave, a certain ice cube. Meanwhile, another wave, another ice cube is not aware of this. Another way to speak about these ice cubes, these belief systems of oh, this is me, is just a function of the brain. You know, the brain will have these kind of, um, we can say like, like baskets, like some big baskets of, of categories that we, uh, you know, when we experience something, the experience and the what we perceive will then be put directly into one of these baskets of kind of preconceived uh, paradigms of what, who we are and what life is. Yeah, so when we perceive something, if we move directly into one of these baskets. And this happens very quickly. So when our perception has moved into one of these baskets of, 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 of what we believe and who we are and what life is, it's very hard to even see anything else. It feels like this is my truth. This can even happen in our spiritual journey and in our, you know, when insights come, you know, I am a, my, my gift and my curse is that I see patterns. Yeah, this is how I can work with myths and embodied mythology. And the way I do is that I see, the, I see patterns. This is, a, you know, another function of the brain that we all have. Um, and it's just very developed uh, in, in me through, you know, through dedication and practice and maybe also through some of the, some of the gifts that I came in with. Why I say that it's a gift and a curse is that, yes, I can see patterns, I can easily link things, I can see it, you know, I can link it in this, what we call virid consciousness, yeah, the web consciousness, where you can enter a reality from different perspectives and you can see the patterns that are universal and personal at the same time. But this function can also begin to connect dots very quickly. So parallel to developing this skill, I have um, seen the necessity of also developing curiosity to, to consciously you know, do the kind of mind yoga to stretch my mind, to always keep a door open for... Uh, for the unknown. Always look from different perspectives, to always be curious. Yeah, the other day I was sharing with my uh, students in the women's uh, temple group facilitator training that we're in right now, that, you know, I've been working with 
I mean, thousands and thousands and thousands of women by now. Yeah, I've been, I mean, in this field for for many decades now. When you work with so many people, you see patterns. Yeah, a lot of the things that we experience in our lives that we think is so unique is actually quite universal. Uh, so when I work with people, I can easily um, recognize. I can recognize those um, baskets. You know, I can recognize what baskets are operating in a person. I can recognize the the specific nervous system responses that are happening through the, the person's body. Uh, I can recognize uh, belief systems because, you know, I want to repeat this forever: is that our belief systems are are um, systemic. You know, they are it's like radio stations that are we call normal life. They are frequencies. You know, sometimes when you go into your car in the morning yeah, and you t- switch the engine on and your radio comes on, the radio comes on on the stations that you have programmed it to, to play. Yeah? So there are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds, thousands worldwide. There's like millions of different, hundreds of millions of different radio stations. But your radio is programmed to tune into these specific stations and uh, these stations are from your family system they are from your uh, from your culture and uh, you know because we are all listening to them all the time we think that oh these are normal these are even your thought uh, the thoughts that spin in your head they are frequencies they're not even yours you know these thoughts that are just in this repetitive patterns of the ice cube land Um, and we call it normal and um, you know when we do the work around um, you know racism for example or anti you know anti-white supremacy uh, awareness of western uh, imperialism and and um, we that the work we do there and even when we are looking at patriarchy the work we're doing is that we are looking at the baskets in our brain that we call normal, the categories that we perceive our experience into. And, and um, when we are just looking at the experiences, the different words we say, the different actions, you know, many will begin to argue like, no, there is no racism or there is no, uh, you know, why, the, why do people create so much trouble? Why can't we just be happy and live together as one? You know, a, a person who... who who have the basket of, of white centering, like the Western norm, um, without, if we don't question that norm, the basket itself, we will not see that people are living outside that basket and are seeing reality in a very different way. Yeah, we won't see that, oh, what I call normal, you know, like the, the patriarchy, for example, when we are benefiting from those systems, we will think that everybody who's questioning it is just making up the problem. Because I don't see the problem. Everything is good for me. <laughs> so um, this is why I find all this kind of level of work of anti-colonism, uh, to look at the imperialism, look at, look at the, the centering of white Western values in the world, um, is is uh, living God's practice? It is liberation work, not only for those who are 
suppressed by the system, which is, of course, an essential part of that, but also for those who are benefiting from it, because we are um, we are all trapped, you know, in a system that is um, kind of amputating our shared humanity outside the basket, the norm, the category of these systems that were created, you know, for the benefit of the few. And uh, nobody wins. Even it looks like somebody winning from it. It's We can see the consequences in the world today, you know, how... Uh, yeah, how how amputated our human presence can be. And we see those in power with the most money and the most power is not necessarily the, you know, are, are, looks like the, the human beings that are most trapped and stifled in their connection, which is, of course, just my perception. So, <laughs> so oh, circling all the way back to... Um, to that yoga of stretching the mind, to be curious, to always leave a, a room for the unknown, you know, circling back to me working with so many people, I can see all of those patterns, but it's equally, uh, and more and more, the more I see, see it, the more I recognize patterns, the more I have skills uh, in this area, the, the more essential it is that I always leave, um, I always offer my perception and insights with an open hand, uh, all like really practicing the willingness to be wrong. It's, it's, it's so important because I will, I, 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 you know, there's an awareness that everything that is fixed in that way and every perception I have is through the filter of my my containers and I have you know that's part of the living goddess path is to practice to have a loose relationship to our containers and in that what happens in that moment when I see that oh I have containers I have perception I have insights I have you know all of it what happens when I see that yeah there's something else coming online there's something else present here yeah, the moment I, when I practice to on an ongoing basis, just always hold my beliefs with a loose hand. Yeah, uh, there's more ocean. Yeah, there's more awareness. There's more connection to something else. Instantly present, even with these, um, these more fixed patterns. Because some of these dynamics, we will all, will, will always be there. Yeah, it's not that we have to wait till all of this is melted and fluid. and No, because it's a function of the brain that we will just create new containers. Yeah, and maybe now we create spiritual containers. So we, we constantly do this. And, and some of these containers in the brain, these baskets in the brain, were, were developed very early in our lives. And they were developed like literally into our physical um, expression. So it's not that we have to get rid of it. We can instantly in this moment just bring that kind of yoga of, of the unknown, yeah? that, that yoga of the impossible, <laughs> of, uh, of, of um, holding. Like, it's like to see with the transparent eyes, to hold our beliefs uh, with a loose, loose uh, hand. And in that, we begin to see that, oh, I... I have these beliefs, I have these perceptions, it's not who I am, 
Yeah, so back to the example when I work with people, if I was identified with being the, the intuitive, experienced, psychic, uh, you know, facilitator, and I was attached to my perception as tr- as true, um, if the person did not receive it in that way or it didn't fit with their their experience. Uh, I would feel threatened by that. It would feel as if I was under threat. It would feel as she was doubting me. Yeah, and I would become defensive. And, you know, this is how, you know, we can even see uh, abusive behaviors uh, uh, from, uh, you know, a guide and a, and, a, and a student or client. Yeah. I had this um, teacher very early in my training who said, uh, Turiya, her name is, and she said, when you're working with a client, whenever you have an agenda, if you notice you have an agenda for this person to change in a specific way and, or in any way, uh, to get it or to change, that's a signal for, for you to check in what's going on with you. <laughs> this has, you know, this has uh, been with me f- through all these decades I've been working with people is to notice that, oh, is there a contraction in me? Is there an identification in me here that wants to be right? Why? Yeah, and then uh, part of the living goddess practice is, of course, we cultivate the capacity to stay present with uh, discomfort, yeah, with that, um, with that kind of um, dismantling that happens when our beliefs and our even our what we call ourselves are questioned yeah so um so this is part of the the practice that is essential uh, like parallel with seeing seeing patterns so you can see that this kind of practice and this kind of um this aspect of uh, the living goddess path you know, becomes very practical when we see in the world today that can be so divisive according to religious beliefs, so, um, you know, political uh, beliefs, uh, to an extent that people feel that if, if someone else has a different belief or see it in a different way, it is a threat to, to me as a person. And I'm not speaking now about, of course, there are people who have political views that are... <laughs> are <laughs> Uh, directly a threat to many people so of course I'm not speaking about that I'm just speaking about people who who have different uh, religious views for example or different political views uh, where we cannot meet because it's almost like if I'm curious about you I'm giving up who I am instead of you know being rooted in the deeper ocean and see that this is one of my beliefs, these are one of my opinions, this is one of my perceptions and values. It's not who I am. Yeah, it doesn't mean that I won't speak up for the values. Of course, it's essential that each one of us speak up for our values. This is how we create the virud, how we create this tapestry that we all, uh, you know, full of diversity. But, you know, I see the spiritual path and the spiritual awakening to to ourselves deeper than these different waves as as as, as um, social justice work it's political work it's 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 essential for us in order to live 
with uh, you know the inevitable diversity in this world is to root our sense of self deeper and then we can you know then we can have discourse and we can um, you know engage in all these processes uh, of um, of democracy or of um, you know of religious freedom uh, where everybody gets to express themselves within the different paradigms they, they want to uh, without it becoming harmful to each other of course and even of course the perception of harm is a, <laughs> is a tricky minefield right there anyway <laughs> so back to the people pleasing As a spiritual teacher and a guide, and uh, and and a friend, and and uh, you know, I was a wife, I was a <laughs> stepmother. Uh, generosity is, of course, a quality that is applauded. It is a, as I say, is an essential. Uh, it's an essential quality, but when it becomes this frozen, people pleasing quality. Yeah, this sense of a role that I play. It, um, my experience of it is that I very early in my life went into that wave. And it, was, it took me decades and decades and decades to fully see it because it was so functional. And the way that I began to see it was that I was a burning myself out. I was uh, giving in a way that had underlying expectations, yeah, because I was giving in a way that I left myself. So what was uh, left behind was not only the cosmic oceans, but there were other parts, other frozen parts that were um, feeling abandoned yeah so it creates a whole dynamic of trying to be seen um, by doing and giving and uh, the paradox of that dynamic is that I, I can't really be seen because I'm not home to be seen yeah. and um there was a lot of circumstances in my life, and I'm going to share more about that in a in a different podcast, where I um, where my life kind of fell apart, and I had less capacity, and uh, these roles that had worked for me really well, they did not work. I was seeing that oh, to continue doing this will actually kill me. Yeah, that was how how it felt like and it started you know like I said I've been doing this kind of practice and work for decades and decades it just started another spiral down down to meet parts of myself that was left behind and it was terrifying to let go of that role to begin to say no and tolerate other people's disappointment or reactions to my no 
you know, there was, it was much easier for me to say yes. And then everybody was happy. And I had kind of placed my happiness in other people being happy. It was literally something that felt pleasurable for me in my body until it didn't. And once I began to see see this near enemy to generosity, I, I began to see it for what it was. It was not really generosity because it was a automatic a pattern. Yeah, it was a reaction. It's kind of just like a default reaction. And it was ultimately um, costing me a very high price. And so that led me to that to a you know a a long, long process of beginning to set, set boundaries and, and prioritize uh, me. You know, isn't it interesting that we almost have to be forced to do this, you know, by illness or for me, you know, it was different. Yeah, like it, I was very close to burnout. I was, uh, um, there was a lot of, lot of things falling. My marriage fell apart, you know, death of my son, uh, the pandemic, all of it happened, menopause, all of it happened at the same time. And that was the perfect storm for me to, um, yeah, to, to fall, fall, <laughs> to fall into a deeper self, a deeper connection through uh, incredibly challenging and painful processes. And, you know, this perfect storm is illustrated in, in so many goddess myth. This is what we call the dark goddess. And, you know, f- our default is that we think we have to avoid her. We think that we, we should avoid her at all costs because it feels like we are losing something. It feels like, oh, you know, things are falling apart. And there are parts of us that have invested a lot in having that kind of control that this is how life should be, this is who I should be, and this works good, um, you know, until it doesn't. And she comes with her fierce love um, and just, you know, roam through our lives, uh, devouring and dismantling everything that is too small for our soul because she is so invested in our freedom. She is so deeply invested in our, us, uh, you know, being fully expressed in our essence, embodied essence, who we are in the world. Because the world needs, she created us uniquely in that way for us to be uniquely us. This is, this is essential for all of this to work. And we see, uh, you know, when most of us are just uh, moving around, um, you know, almost like in a chess game, yeah, we are moving with these fixed movements. Um, things are not working. It doesn't work in the long run. And um, it doesn't work on a global level. It doesn't work in our families. It doesn't work in within ourselves, in our own bodies, in our health, our own well-being. It doesn't work. And she knows that. Yeah, so we can kick and scream and protest when she comes around, but she knows that. And um, this is, you know, 100% my experience. I would never choose all the difficulties that I had had to go through. But I'm sitting here now with such a, you know, such a gratitude, such a deep reverence for life. 
I'm not taking one moment for granted. <laughs> I know I can die any moment and uh, it's this kind of hunger for for the real. Yeah, because now I have more tastes of essence of me. Yeah, like my my life has been spent so much in the cosmic ocean. Like very early in my life I I was given the door, the doors opened and I was giving this access to the dimension of myself, the oceanic dimension. But nevertheless, there is another, you know, my, my path is a path of embodiment. So it is that uh, deeper layer of bringing, of receiving uh, the ocean into these um, unique ripples that are me and all the way into waves yeah so that the waves can come and go that the form of me my words my action my expression in life can be uh you know a, a creative contribution this is what we call like yogic life yeah to creatively engage with our lives you know, be, it's a life of um, of relating to life, yeah, where we receive and give. It's a relationship to ourselves and life instead of a relationship of control, yeah, where we just uh, try to motivate and control ourselves and our surrounding. It's, that's the biggest shift in our spiritual awakening. And a, rela- uh, a life lived, uh, you know, in the, in the living goddess path, it doesn't mean that it's a life that is always perfect or no pain or anything. It's just that we relate with that curiosity and that giving and receiving. And that in itself is meaningful. That in itself is a sense of being home because we are home in the movement of goddess, which ultimately is who we are. So when I started to, you know, to, to um, set boundaries, uh, it, was, it was uncomfortable. It was really, really hard. So many times I wanted to go back and say, oh, you can have, oh, I didn't mean it, you know, because then the other one would be happy. Everything would be harmony. And when it comes to creating harmony, I'm really good at it. It's a superpower I have. I know how to de-escalate things. I know how to... Uh, create spaces where everybody is heard. I know, you know, so this is again an essential uh, quality that is good to have. Near enemy of that is, uh, you know, it's conflict avoidance. When it becomes a, an automatic response, an unexamined uh, basket or category, like why you know, without kind of seeing the underlying beliefs, it would just look benevolent. Yeah, I'm creating peace. But if it's um, a peace based on uh, an automatic pattern like that, an automatic response and denial of certain parts of myself is not a fully integrated peace. It's a peace that is dependent on pushing parts away. It's a piece that is, um, it's held as a higher value than, than truth. Yeah, it's a piece that has the, that is kind of dependent on, on me taking care of other people's feelings. That is their job to do. And, um, 
So this is why I keep saying now just that, like, you know, that when we feel activated in our nervous system by setting boundaries or by, uh, by speaking our truth, it's not necessarily a sign that something is wrong. You know, oftentimes we think that, oh, I have to feel at ease and I have to feel good uh, in order for, you know, as a sign as I'm on the right path. But I have learned <laughs> that it's, you know, in this kind of process uh, that you feel activated and bad, it's oftentimes a, a much clearer sign that you're on the right path because you're breaking patterns, especially around uh, conflict avoidance and people pleasing. It's inevitable that you will rock the boat and people will have feelings and things will be more uncomfortable. But nevertheless, this is the only... Um, this is an opportunity for real connection to happen with yourself and maybe with the other, maybe not. And then it's up to the other how, how they are dealing. It's also a way for you to, to really begin to know the people around you. Because, you know, trapped in this pattern, you will only know them, um, who they are at the price of you leaving yourself. So who are the people, who are, how are people responding to your boundaries? Yeah, I have found myself uh, walking on eggshell uh, around certain people because I don't trust how they are handling their own feelings. And then I'm just, you know, this role that I learned to play very early in my life was, um, you know, is that I can fix that for them. <laughs> I can just make it nice for them. Uh, but uh, what I have discovered when I start to s set boundaries, I begin to see who people are. And that relaxes my system. That gives me also a, a less incentive of, of um, going into these coping strategies. Yeah, even if it's uncomfortable, it's more relaxing in the sense that we are landing in something real. And the truth is that I don't want people around me, like in my inner circle, who can't, um, you know, respect my boundaries and respect that I have to say no or respect my needs. Why would I have people who throw a tantrum when I break those contracts of me uh, taking care of everyone? Yeah. So it's actually, a, it's, a, it's again that brutal process of the dark goddess where she brings things to, into the real yeah, and we begin to see why would I cling to this structure of, of perceived safety? Uh, like why? Why would I uh, hold on to these situations uh, when they are ultimately built upon me abandoning myself? Like why? Yeah, and that leads me into, you know, this these layers that we are then thrown into that, that actually gives makes makes it make very much sense why now for me I, I started to visit deep pain and deep fear in me that was um, frozen you know in my body from very early on and uh, it makes sense to me that I left myself into one of these uh, people-pleasing personas because of course that was much more comfortable to uh, be there 
than to be in the terror and pain that I was feeling underneath. So my liberation is to go through those those uh, layers. And I am brought into a, a, a vulnerability, like a kind of a skinlessness, a sense of naked heart, naked mind, naked me, um, that feels so vulnerable and, uh, and also unknown in a certain way. Although, yeah, I have been blessed in my life to spend you know, my majority of my life in spiritual practice, in spiritual circles. And I have had plenty of opportunity to experience myself undefended and, um, you know, resting deep into the cosmic ocean. But it was in dismantling of this, these roles uh, just the last years where I was retrieving not only the cosmic ocean, but really as me, yeah, embodied as me in a, in a whole new way. And I don't think that this is the end. <laughs> now I know that I will never say it's the end because it's all the time new, new layers. It's an infinite ocean, yeah. I want to share with you a dream that I had the other day where I was uh, I had been in a session with my mentor Chris Seidel and uh, we had been working on this and I had really fallen into this vulnerable sense of me but very kind of naked innocent and very creative it felt like very magical and creative me and I realized that oh this beingness of me was not affirmed. You know, maybe when I was an infant, I think, you know, that's like every, we all love to gaze into the eyes of an infant. But then, you know, quite early in my life, uh, this part was not seen and affirmed. And as other parts of me started to develop and become more fixed, this part didn't develop. So it's like an underdeveloped part, but it's also in one way, um, that's an advantage because it was also not developed into these fixed uh, roles. Yeah, so it's very, it's a sense of a pure, spontaneous beingness. But it's also this sense of like, oh, it, I feel like a newborn when I begin to move from this beingness. It's like to move my body and to move my words from this beingness. It's like, it's like I'm super curious and excited about, wow, how, how does this beingness want to express itself? And I literally like doing, I'm new, doing movements when I walk in the woods. I, I try to do new movements. I, it's almost like a, when a toddler, you know, starts to crawl when it starts to move its body in these ways, it literally is creating its own brain. And that's how we develop, that the movements creates the brain and the brain creates the movements. And that's how we, yeah, we, we, we grow up. 
And this part didn't get to do that. And now it does. <laughs> and after this session with Chris, I, I had a dream. And it was just a dream that is just one of those very deep archetypal dreams where um, I was with a group of people and we were looking for a black snake that had escaped. And we were looking for it. And I found this big glass box, kind of quite dusty glass box, similar to you can see in museums sometimes. Like, and it was like full of sand. And in the sand, I saw some black something black and I looked and it was just these black malas, these beads, bead necklaces and it was not the snake but then I saw in the sand in this box I saw a little eye and I started to uh, to sweep away the sand and I revealed I uncovered a baby dolphin and this dolphin looked <laughs> it was the most beautiful thing I've ever seen in my life. This dolphin looked up at me with this like, beaming beauty and magic and creativity and brilliance, innocence and divine love beaming up at me. And I held the little baby dolphin in my arms. And I was like, ah! And I called to all the people, says, look, it's a baby dolphin. And all the other people were not um, very interested. They couldn't. And I realized I'm the only one seeing the miracle here. And I also could feel like this is mine to see. Yeah, this is mine to see. This is mine to affirm. I see you. And I, I brought the dolphin to the ocean, the cosmic mother, and I released it into the ocean. And, and, and it was this flash of a vision in my dream where the dolphin grew up into becoming this majestic uh, king of the ocean, this uh, majestic, benevolent, brilliant leader in the ocean. This dream has been with me uh, so strongly and um, yeah, it's just, um, it speaks to me in symbols how, what it is that I am retrieving, unveiling. Yeah, this innocent, the magic child, the brilliance. And that it has been waiting there all along. And it's intact. It's not broken, it's not harmed. And in one way, sitting and speaking about it now, I can also see that, oh, it was unharmed because it was hidden. That is actually something benevolent that I managed to cope and protect myself and play all the roles. And now it's the baby dolphin's time to be to to be centered in my life. Yeah, that this this part of my being is now my number one priority. And I will guard it. I will set the boundaries. I will notice, you know, I'm noticing now when I move into, um, when I abandon this part, it's like an excruciating, it's an intense pain. <laughs> Immediate pain. 
It doesn't work any longer. I cannot. And when I feel into this part of me, my navigations and decision-making become, becomes very simple. It becomes a very clear navigation tool. Uh, it becomes simple who I want to be around and who I want, don't want to be around. Uh, which also includes sometimes to set boundaries to people that are perfectly beautiful people, but where I notice myself going into the people-pleasing uh, pattern uh, and I'm not able to stay connected, where I go into a, that kind of uh, fawning response. And to set boundaries even there, even if this person is perfectly a wonderful person, is to make priorities in, in this way. For, like it's kind of a radical prioritizing of me right now. Um, you know, just like a, someone who's addicted to alcohol, you know, would, would uh, not go into bars, yeah? And bars are not intrinsically bad or good. But that person would know that, oh, it's not good for me to go to the bar. I will stay away from that for now. And I notice myself making boundaries in this way. That is like baffles me because, you know, part of my identity in this uh, uh, people-pleasing part is that, oh, it's in a tremendous uh, capacity and, or perceive like kind of a pseudo-capacity. It's a tremendous kind of um, pride even of like, oh, but I can just override myself and, and I deal with it. You know, that's something that I pride myself like oh, um, the sentence come to me a lot when I sp speak about this part and feel to this part is the sentence just because I can yeah and this has echoes all the way back into my childhood oh I she can override her needs so that's why she can't we she you know she should and I'm reframing that for myself right now. Just because I can does not mean I should. And it is a, you know, it's a skill set that it's, you know, has been handy and good. But now it's different priorities. And of course, it also brings us full circle back into the essential aspects of this pattern. Yeah, the... the the kind of usefulness of this concept of near enemy is to see that it is a, something that looks the same at the surface, comes from different roots, and that, you know, sometimes when we discover our, our people-pleasing, we can think that the, the solution out of it is to not give. Yeah, but that will again block our connection to that essential aspect of who we are. So it brings us back into this kind of sifting discernment practice where we are, we are retrieving, we are extracting the essential qualities out from these patterns. And it's this uh, metaphor that I use that we, this awareness begin to melt the rigid identities, the rigid, the frozen expression of it and once it does it's liberated back into the ocean and then it becomes a natural expression of who we are so it's not that we never should give it's not that we should not think of others 
uh, you know, some of us has to set maybe over firm boundaries in the beginning, like not going to the bar, because we have, um, you know, we are aware that these are very, very ingrained patterns uh, in us, that we go into that coping strategy, that the natural impulse of generosity is, is almost like kidnapped by these identities. So, you know, in, in a phase, we, we definitely, you know, may need some firmer boundaries and maybe some irrational for many um, decisions that we have to make because we take responsibility for ourselves. Uh, but the ultimate, uh, you know, ultimate kind of reward of this practice is, uh, is that we now have access to more of ourselves and our spontaneous expression, which includes, of course, generosity in the sense of, of um, caring for the bigger picture and for our communities and families and others, of course. I'm going to leave it here for now, but there's going to be a part two of this conversation. So just tune in back here for the next part. And then I will uh, share with you uh, the myth from the Norse mythology that also can, can just bring another perspective and another map for, for this journey. Um, yes. Thank you so much for... Uh, for uh, diving into the deeper ocean with me. And I would leave you with a little contemplation for you to, um, to feel into what are some of your essential qualities that has somehow coagulated or been kidnapped into a near enemy expression. And without thinking that you now have to fix it, just see if you can bring some curiosity to it. Yeah, just to, to bring that open mind. Because again, uh, you know, our first step is not necessarily to fix your behavior. Because then, you know, there will come another behavior and you will fix that. It's just endless to fix all of these endless waves. We want to look deeper into the, the underlying container or uh, basket that... Um, that is the source of these behaviors? What is the underlying beliefs that makes you, um, you know, automatically uh, move into these, these uh, more predictable strategies? And then just slowly kind of open. It's like a, I, I, I come back again and again to this movement, hand gesture of unclenching your fist. It's just, ah, that's our practice. That's all we have to do, basically, is unclench. Because all of these different waves and beliefs and coping strategies, they're, they're ultimately, in one way, we can speak about them as a resistance to our true nature, to, to, to our spontaneous creativity. And it's not like a resistance we, we, ch we choose, of course. Uh, we may consciously prefer to be alive and spontaneous and connected but uh, our systems you know throughout our life and different circumstances we learned to clench up in that way and it was benevolent in certain moments and then it became a pattern so yeah be curious be curious about your 
essential quality and near enemies to those qualities. And I see you back here soon. Thank you for listening to Living Goddess. If you like what you heard, please share this podcast with a friend and follow, rate, and review at Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen in.